Welcome to NG Church Network Podcast. We are capturing stories of strength, encouragement and comfort as we pursue spirit-led lives. So I'm with Simon. We're talking about cancer today. So I'm aware that there might be somebody listening to this. You've got a recent cancer diagnosis. We want this to just encourage you, not trigger you. If you want to come back to it in a day or two, feel free. But for everybody else, I'm sure you're going to really find this story encouraging and for everybody, whatever situation you're in, may it build your faith. So Simon, start. How old were you? Where were you when you first found out that you had cancer? Okay, so when I first got cancer, I was 29. Um, that was the diagnosis. Um, where was I? I was lying on a bed in City Hospital, looking up at a doctor, telling a 29-year-old three years into marriage, that he's got cancer. So you'd had some symptoms, had you, for a little while? <clears throat> yeah, so three months prior to that, I'd been feeling fatigued, very unwell, flu-like symptoms, excruciating back pain, um, to the point where I couldn't walk. I thought I had sciatica, it was that bad. And I, I, I knew I wasn't right. And probably, that was three months before, but the run-up to it, I'd probably say a month before, I did notice a, a bit of a lump on my neck. Okay. Um, which got me thinking. Uh, so I went for a scan. Because most of us at that point think it's nothing, I'm going to put it off for I a while. I thought it was a cyst. Yes. And, and my mother-in-law says, oh, my, my brother had a, a cyst and it's probably nothing. And everybody around me was like, oh, it's probably nothing. And, and I was like, okay. So what the doctors did, they referred me to Queen's Medical for a CT scan. Yeah. Um, this was a month before, in the September. Uh, went for a CT scan. Went to see a throat, ear and nose doctor. He took a quick look. He then went on holiday. They scanned me um, and didn't really get back to me or anything. So I thought, no news is good news. Fantastic. This is brilliant. Yeah. And then it got to the stage where late September, so that was early September, late September, where I was watching TV. I was actually going to lead a service at church. So I was all dressed up, ready to go. I was watching TV. Uh, and the side of my face went numb around here. I thought, that's strange. And I was... It never happened before. It never happened before. No, very strange. About around my mouth, it went a little bit numb as I was eating. <clears throat> and I said to my wife, I said, I've seen the... This, I don't think I'm having a stroke, but I've seen the adverts that said that, you know, if your face goes numb, you've got so much time to, to respond. And I said... This is not normal. Obviously, I'd felt unwell as well. So I thought, I better go and get it checked out. So I said, as much as I really don't want to do this, as much as I'm leading a service tonight, as much as I've got so many commitments, we'd better go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital at the Queen's Medical Centre to A&E. Anyway. Which was the right choice. Wasn't it? it was <laughs> the, right choice. the right choice. Well, it saved my life. Yes. I, I mean, I, being a typical man, um, I don't like going to the doctors. I put most things off. I play most things down. But, but this was significant where I was like, it's not normal for my face to go numb. So I went to the A&E, um, had a few tests. And by that time, I started to feel a little bit better because I, I think when you go to a hospital and you're in a safe place, you begin to feel a little bit more relaxed. I felt better and I thought, ah, I'll be back home. I'll be back at work tomorrow. Anyway, they did a few tests. I was on a laughing joke with the, the, the male nurse. He was from Scotland and we were kind of having a bit of banter and we were laughing. He took a blood test, did a few tests on me, blood pressure and that type of thing. And I thought, oh, brilliant, it's all going well. 
ticking all the boxes. He says, what we're going to do, we're going to send your bloods away to get checked out. You guys just go for some lunch, go for a coffee somewhere for an hour and come back. Brilliant. Okay. Longest hour ever. We went out to the Tesco's around the corner. I remember it very, very well. It was a Sunday afternoon. We went to the Tesco's to pick a sandwich up um, around the corner from Queen's Med, where mm. Castle Marina is. These things just stick with you. Um, I started to feel a little bit more ill. And then we went back to the hospital. And I, and I being as I'd gotten to that level of banter with a nurse, I, I was speaking. I was like, how are we doing, mate? All good? All ready to, to go home? Everything okay? And his face was white. And he looked at me and he said, he passed me an envelope and he said, there's a bed waiting for you and a doctor waiting for you at City Hospital at Haematology. Take this envelope. Do not open it. And I'm like, where's the banter gone? Where's the laughter gone? Yeah. This guy means business. This is not good. And at that point, as he passed me the envelope, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, don't worry, son, but you've got leukemia. Very strange. Yeah. So, okay. So me and my wife, Sarah, got in the car, went from QMC to City Hospital. Let me just... So interesting what you felt the Holy Spirit say to you, that the leukemia bit with the illness, I can see you getting there. I can even understand the don't worry because that's a common thing in Scripture. Yeah, yeah. But he called you son in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, he said, <laughs> he said don't worry, son. <laughs> You're going to film me up in a second. He said, don't worry, son. It's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You've got leukemia, but don't worry. I said, okay. I didn't tell my wife this, but as we were driving down the ring road to city hospital. Um, I just, I, it's, it's very strange. I was at peace. So we got to this old grotty room in the SRU, all due respect, the SRU in city hospital with those that may have experienced SRU. You know what I mean? It's basically based in the 1940s. It's never been modernized. So I'm in this room and we had to wait two hours, John, two hours. Longest two hours of your life with the envelope still. Yeah, with the envelope still, and we're thinking, what's going on here? Because they had to, because it was a Sunday evening, they had to call the, the consultant doctor in. Anyway, she came in, and she walked in, and she, she started doing tests on me with my feet and saying, right, push against me, push against me, you know, do all this with your foot. And I was like, passing all the tests. I was thinking, wow, I'm going to be at home later on. I'm crack on. This is all good. It's good news. I don't know what that envelope's about. Even though God had already told me, I thought, oh, this is, this is, this is, this is pretty good. Anyway. She looked down at me and she says, Simon, you've got cancer. And me and my wife just looked at each other. She burst into tears. I was upset. Yes, I'd had prior warning from the Holy Spirit, but for some strange reason, I was at peace. <laughs> I said, okay. She says, you've got two different types of cancer. You've got leukemia and lymphoma. And you've also got an extremely large mass on your chest. Okay. We know this because of the scan that you had early September. In my mind, I'm thinking, wow, well, thanks for letting me know. It, it was only because I went to A&E and was proactive. They'd missed it or not got back to you for holidays or whatever reason. Yeah. But so it's all landing on you at this point. Yep. And they said, if you want to come in today, any later, a couple of days, you could have been dead. Because with the type of cancer that I had, it was very aggressive. Within three months, it can kill you. It was acute lymphoblastic leukemia. 
Just to explain the leukemia <coughs> and lymphoma for people who might not know those two different cancers. Okay, so leukemia is um, a cancer of the blood. So your immune system mutates. Uh, mine was T cell, if that helps to, for those that might know. Um, so it was a T cell lymphocyte that had turned cancerous and gone rogue, grown um, beyond control uh, and had caused an infection into my lymphatic system as well, which caused tumors inside the lymphatic system, which one was on my neck, which was the lump that I spotted, and another one that was on my, sitting on my heart, which was a swollen lymph node that was quite, quite large on my chest. And that was the mass in the chest that <laughs> had seen on the yeah. scan. Yeah. So, I'm like, okay, better, better call my mum, better call my family, better let everybody know what's the next steps. So she gave you the treatment plan there and then? No. She, she says, we're going to admit you to as an inpatient. You're going to be on a ward um, in haematology. And then, you know, we're going to come up to you in the morning, let you know what the treatment plan is going to be. So let my mum know. They all came in. Everybody's in tears around me. I'm lying there thinking I'm the only one in my family that doesn't, dr doesn't drink or smoke or, you know, I go to the gym. I'm pretty healthy. How on earth have I ended up in this situation? Any history of it in the family? <clears throat> no, not at all. I'm, I'm literally the only one that's that's healthy and tries to look after himself, and I'm the one that ends up with, with this. <laughs> Crazy. So you're looking at your family thinking I'm healthier than you a lot, but I'm the one here <laughs> riddled with cancer. Yeah, I did joke, and I did say that. I'm like, you smoke 40 fags a day, you're down the pub. How am I in this position? But, you know, I accepted it. Uh, one thing that I didn't do, John, is I didn't ask God why, mm. because... I believe there's a reason for everything and I believe that at that moment in time that uh, he would get me through it and I would live. Again, I find that interesting. I've spoken to a number of people in situations like you where if you're not in it, you can't believe why they wouldn't ask why. Yet people often say that to me. I just didn't ask why. You you just, you obviously, you've talked about weeping and I'm guessing you're heartbroken. Why do you think you didn't ask why? Seems an obvious question. God, why me? I, I, I know that God loves me. I know that he has a plan for me. And whether I lived or whether I died, he's with me. Whether I lived, it's a bonus. He's with me. Whether I die, to be fair, even better, because I'm going to heaven, I'm going to see him. Wherever I go, I can't escape his Holy Spirit. His love endures forever. His mercies are made new every uh, every every morning. You know, as far as the east is from the west, is how much his, his mercy sits on us, and, and his grace is sufficient. All these things that are going through my mind, I'm thinking, no matter what happens in this scenario, I win. Hmm. Which sounds crazy, and you can ask anybody that were around me at that time. That that's that's where I was, and I was like, okay, this is mission mode. We will get through this. There will be a testimony and a glorification for God in this. Let's do it. So the, and we'll come back to that. So the, the next day, so you never went home. You were literally straight in. Yeah. Gosh. Which, which you was, could have been leading the service the day before. Yes. Uh, uh, but so anyway, so you're in. The next day, they come up with some sort of treatment plan. Uh, and so you had to go through, uh, I don't know, was it chemo, radiotherapy, operation? What was your case? So the next day, the, the consultant came in. Um, absolute angel he is, is, is uh, Dr. Andrew McMillan. Everybody used to call him Dr. Mac. He was the best 
So, so one thing that happened is one of his colleagues came in to the end of my bed that very morning and, and said, right, Simon, this is what you've got. This is the diagnosis. It's a very, very serious cancer. Um, it can kill you within three months. We need to get on this now. Um, we're going to do our best to try and cure you, but we can't promise anything. So basically, you might die, you might live 50-50. We're going to do our best. And I, and I was like, what do you mean? This is the 21st century. What do you mean you're going to try your best to try and cure me? You mean you've not got like a pill that I can take? It was like, well, no. Anyway, my pastor, Kate Kent um, and Ali, came to uh, my bedside. And Kate specifically prayed that morning with us. They were straight there. She specifically prayed that God would send the best doctor and consultant and specialist to be able to help me with this cancer journey. Anyway, in walks Dr. Mack. Now, Dr. Mack is the chair of the cancer research. He's world-renowned. He's traveled the world. Everybody knows this man. He is like the top of the chain. And he's the specialist in ALL, which is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. In walks this man with a full treatment plan, all in a day's work, knew exactly what, what he was doing, what treatment plan he was going to take me on, what trial that he was going to put me on, etc. And with, without his expertise and his care, you know, he, people used to laugh around the hospital as I got to know, you know, I was in there a few months that Dr. Mack was, he'd, he'd put his patients before everything. He was once in Africa on a safari with his family, he had two daughters, and uh, one of his patients took a turn. That's one of the things that the nurses told me. And he he was that close from flying home to come and look after this one patient. And it reminded me of Jesus, that, you know, if just the one sheep's left behind. And God sent this man to, to, you know, I believe that God is a healer and God's a miracle worker, but God will use doctors. He'll use relationships to, to help healers. And he sent the right man for the job to help me through that. Um, and that was because of what I believe my pastor yes. prayed, prayed over me. I would have the best specialist and in walk this bloke a couple of hours later. Yes, because we both believe that in a moment God can heal. 100%. Uh, also, anything that is bringing health and well-being yes. is the coming of the kingdom of God, yes. which happened in your body. So that's God's hand in that, bringing the right people. So there's a multiple ways in which God can minister to totally the broken-hearted, the broken-bodied, even... Even this morning, as people are listening to this, we're in the morning, but they might be listening to this in the middle of the night. Even in this moment, God can be ministering to people. Totally. Either bringing the right people into your life or directly. Totally. Uh, but but, but I, always, I, I always say that cancer was probably one of the worst things and one of the best things that's ever happened to me because what a story it's left me with. Mm. Uh, and as we will go on to later, mm. and you, we can see how much it's changed my perspective and my spiritual journey and just my, the person that I am because... I think if you would have healed me just like that, I wouldn't have understood the extremities of his grace and his mercy. I wouldn't have been able to journey through that, Gosh. what Gosh. Will, you know, three years of chemo that I had to have. So in answer to your question, yeah, yeah I embarked. So, so it, was, it, it was quite funny now, but quite upsetting at the time. When I first went in, I went on this, this, this different kind of sections of the treatment. The first is the, um, is the uh, what do they call it? The, the intense phase which is basically two months of just absolutely obliterating you. I think in Is that chemo? Chemo. Chemo, they're just blasting your body blasting with chemo body, yeah. as much as you can take, yeah. just short of killing you, I guess. Yes, definitely. So it's the first two months. There was no radiotherapy for me. It was just um, chemotherapy. So they blasted me with chemotherapy. And I thought, wow, you know, 
two months, I'll be back at work. I'll be back to normal. This is brilliant, you know, two months. Well, I did the first two months, and what that does is to get you into remission. Remission is not necessarily cured, but it's basically the disease showing low or no signs of any symptoms, which is good. It's a good sign. So within that two months, I probably had altogether over the whole three years that I didn't know about, and I'll move on to that in a second, that was hit me just after Christmas. So 13 different types of chemotherapy and two different types of steroids. So I took a battering, and I definitely took a battering. Two months got me into remission, had my tests, had my scans, the tumour had gone. Um, the, the, the cancer was showing no signs of, of even being there because they take you through a lot of tests after that first two months. And I was like, brilliant. So went in late September, early October, got to Christmas, just finished my treatment, just got my test results. I'm like, boom, let's go. This is fantastic. Let's get on with life. Anyway, the consultant says, well, that's just the start. You've actually got another two and a half years of this. Oof of consolidation treatment and then two years of maintenance treatment after that. And me and my wife are just like... Do you think they didn't tell you that because they didn't want to daunt you at the start? Yes, it was very wise for them to do so. Very, very wise and strategic. So, yeah, we were kind of hit by a bit of a bullet, looked at each other and went, well, okay, we're in this for the long run then. And again, you're thinking, well, God's a healer. God's in this. What is he going to do through this? Was it always easy, John? No. There were plenty of times where I thought I was going to be in for Christmas, but thankfully God allowed me to be with my family. We had lots of times of tears and upset along the journey, especially at the beginning because you're getting used to everything. I think it's probably easier the more you get into it, like six months to a year, because it just becomes a sadly normal life. Um, I'm guessing you've lost a lot of weight. Did you lose your hair? Yeah, I mean, I can send you some pictures if your guy wants to put them yeah. on the... So at this we'll point... See. We'll see how traumatic, but yes. Yeah, yeah, they're, so, they're not that bad. Yeah. So so at this point, I'm, I'm going to send some pictures over to John whether he chooses to use them on it. I'll show you some pictures of like before and after enduring. Just me with a bald head, swollen head because of the steroids, just really pale. Um, yeah, it, it, it was gruesome. It was gruesome. I didn't look very attractive, but... You know, one thing that I can say about my lovely, gorgeous wife is she made me feel like a hunk and a hero, even at my lowest moment. And there were times throughout, especially the first two months, where I I, I couldn't even bath myself, John. She mm. was bathing me. And we she, she, she'd met this, you know, this, this guy that goes to the gym, this, this mountain of a man, and... It, it resulted for her having to bath me. I'm, I'm bold. I don't feel very attractive. I'm skinny. I'm weak. I can't even walk up the stairs. And I'm, my wife's bathing me at 29 years old. And, you know. So you felt humiliated? My pride was hurt. Yeah. And, and God was humbling. Well, God wasn't humbling, but I was being humbled through that time. And I was like, wow, you know, this, this is it's very, very humbling. There was nothing dignified about what I was looking like, you know, being sick into buckets and. Yeah struggling it, it, it was tough gosh very tough talk to me about uh the gravity of the treatment i knew it was long i hadn't realized how long you were going through the treatment talk to me about this balance or this paradox because both things are going on i'm sure where you're you're getting uh you've got this <coughs> confidence in god that he's going to heal you and yet there's moments that are incredibly low 
Talk to me about how both can exist in the same person, probably on the same day. Yeah, so one great example is um, I got to the end of the two months and I got told that I'm in a good place. I'm in remission. They've done an MRD test, which stands for minimal residual disease. Basically, they um, give you a bone marrow biopsy where they put a needle. If you're squeamish, look away or stop listening, but they put a needle into your pelvis and they extract some bone marrow which is like jellified blood it's where your bone marrow around your hips is where your blood factory is it's where all your cells blood cells in your body is created and that's where the cancer thrives and that's why i was getting excruciating back pain on the run-up to it but they got me into the old clear <clears throat> and i was like brilliant celebrating with my family we've got this thing as a family we're all back for a carvery to the tobury carvery it was like whoa this is fantastic and then a week later, they pulled me into an office, my consultant did, and he says, there's been a mistake with your test results. And it's actually worse than when you first came in because you've not responded to the chemo. And I'm like, right. So straight away in my spirit, I'm like, the enemy is trying to interfere. If you believe in the spiritual realm, you'll understand that the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm. And the enemy sometimes tries to, you know... I heard discourage, David, drag you down, yeah, yeah, well, rob you of any hope. Definitely, definitely. And I heard David Sherman once say this: that when God sends a blessing, whether it be healing or whether it be anything in your life, the enemy can't take it away, but he can try to spoil it. So I felt this, this, this peace in me. Of course, I'm unrest. My flesh is flapping, going off. Oh, I thought I was well, but my spirit's like, no. God has said that He is going to heal you, and that's exactly what He'll do. So he said, right, okay, what we're going to do is in the next week, we're going to start discussing different treatment routes, which was a bone marrow biopsy, which is a lot more risky than just having chemo. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. So that the next week was, was, was turmoil. I went for a walk around Willerton Park, John, by myself. I walked around the pond and I sat down on, I can remember the bench. I sat down on the bench looking in the distance in the water. It was a nice blue sky. I could see Willerton Hall at the top. And I said to God, I said, God, your word says that by your stripes, that your son down on the cross, that I am healed. You said, you made promises to me that I would be well in your word, that, I, that you'd be with me every step of the way. And I don't accept this diagnosis that they've said that this is, uh, there's, there's problems and it's worse. I believe that you're going to heal me. I believe this. I believe it in my heart of hearts. I'm choosing to believe your truth. And I was reading through the Gospels at the time and I was journeying with Jesus, uh, with his disciples, healing people. And I was like, Lord, if your son walked this earth, as you said he did in your word, and he was laying hands on the sick and he, people were getting healed, why not me? I believe it's me. Anyway, a couple of days later after that, John, he dragged me into the room. Um, he dragged me into the room, brought me into the room. <laughs> felt like he dragged me. And he says, there's been a mistake with our mistake. And you're completely fine. And the first test was the right one. The second test, there'd been a mix-up in the lab and they'd got your first biopsy mixed up with the one after the first initial treatment. And I'm just like... That's so a big mistake. That's a big mistake. Big yeah, mistake. a big mistake. So that was yeah. that was a that was a roller coaster time job yes. because I'm like believing for yes. God. My spirit's like, this is momentum yes. here. Yeah. And in the flesh... That hiccup came. I didn't waver. Yes, there were times when I was fearful. Yes, there were times when I was emotionally distraught with this thinking, 
This is not part of your plan, Lord. You've got plans to prosper me, not to harm me, mm -hmm. to heal me, to, to keep me in a good place. What is going on? So my spirit's there going, don't worry about it. God is faithful. God is true. God never changes. God's a healer. And you've got my flesh here thinking, well, what if he isn't? What's going on? How come the doctors are saying this? And There's it's still like, a storm for your emotions there, isn't there? Big time, big time. But, you know, the Bible tells us, not that I'm preaching, but yeah. this is who I am as a yeah. person. The Bible tells us that, you know, you can either build your house on stone or rock, which mm. is Jesus Christ, mm. or you can build it on sand. And when the storms come, are you going to get blown over? In the flesh, yes, I was built on sand, but in the spirit, I knew where my God was. Mm. Do you know when you get to know somebody? So I know you, I know you're a good man, I know certain characteristics about you. The same happens with God. Mm. When you know him, when you know that he is faithful, it means he's never going to let you down. So mm. that is what I anchored onto at that time and i believe through that faith it disarmed the enemy and it allowed god to work and the kingdom of god to advance in that area mm. no very powerful uh, and so the treatment goes on for a couple of years yes more and more chemo just chemo after chemo yeah. after chemo yeah uh and then does the come i know it doesn't quite work like this with cancer does it it's not as though there's a day after those two years when they say you're fine. There's a process, isn't there? Yeah. So, so nine months, nine months after I'd had all my intensive chemo, I then went on to a maintenance treatment for two and a, two and a quarter years, um, which was tablets every day, etc. And that's when I went back to work. So at the time, I was a refrigeration and air conditioning engineer. So I was in a van, mobile engineer, up ladders every day, bending pipes, and you know fixing machinery and stuff like that. Uh, and that was tough. That that was tough. Uh, and I'll. I'll lead on to the end of the treatment mm. and there were times as well where i every three weeks no every three months i used to have a, a needle in my spine it, it was called a lumbar puncture where mm. they'd, in, they'd, they'd inject chemotherapy into your central nervous system as well so the water around your brain and your spine because the type of cancer that i had it it, it could the, you've got what's called a blood blood brain barrier so the water that goes around your brain and your spine doesn't mix with your blood. So they can give you chemo for your blood, but you need separate chemo for your central nervous system. That was tough. That, that was something that God got me through because I was back at work climbing ladders whilst having these lumbar punctures, which used to give you an excruciating headache. Um, so, so God got me through some times there as well. There were some funny stories of me getting to the point because I needed to pay my bills at this time. I needed to get to work. I wasn't quite healthy enough to go to work, but I had to. There were times where my boss had to come and get me from the top of a 20-storey building on top of a roof because I was laying on my back because I just couldn't physically move anymore. I then got sent home that very day. There's, there's lots of comical stories, but quite mortifying stories at the time. But uh, he sent me home. I drove home in the van and I was literally being sick out of the window whilst driving. It, 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 there, were, there were some horrific times, but... As it got to the end of the treatment, a similar thing happened of what happened after two months. I got to the end of my treatment. We're talking three years now, three years of treatment. I'm feeling amazing. I'm ready for this new lease of life. God's brought me through these three years of chemotherapy. I had a, a test at the end. I had a scan at the end, CT scan, and I also had a blood test, a bone marrow biopsy. This is the time where they see if all of the three years of treatment has, ha has actually worked. So they took a bone marrow biopsy, extracted the bone marrow, um, and they came back to me a week and a half later, which took longer. And I thought, oh, okay, she, she rang me while I was at work. And she says, um, 
the test results have come back inconclusive. It's showing that you've still got signs, a small bit of cancer. I'm like, again, no. <laughs> Why is this happening? I've journeyed with lots of people. People have died during this treatment, friends that I've met in hospital. And I'm thinking, no, I, I'm born on purpose for a purpose. I'm going to do big things for you, God. I've got to live. What is going on? I felt healthy. Yeah. I felt strong. I, I was ready to get on with my life. And I said, no, okay, what are the next steps? Dr. Mac being Dr. Mac was just fantastic. He said, right, what we're going to do, this can happen on very rare occasions. What we're going to do is we're going to take another test to see if this is to get some clarity with this. Another long week, John. Yes. So I had that test. It got sent away to London. They took it through computers, machinery, poured chemicals on it, just did all these different little tests. What they're looking for is they're looking for what they're looking to see if there's one cancer cell to every million healthy cells. And if yes. there's one or less, then then they're happy with that. So they did another test. That week, John, from when I had my second test to waiting for the enemy was at work. Was that the lowest week of the lot or one I, of them? You know what? I think it was one of the worst because when you start, John, you're you're in a place where you, you know God's providing you and you're going to go through, you're going to tick all the boxes, you're going to go through all the tree. When you've experienced three years, at the end of that three years, I was ready to, I'd had enough, John. My yes. eyesight was playing up. I looked old, I looked withered, I looked thin, my skin, it would worn me down, worn yes. me down. I wasn't 29 anymore, I was 32 when it had finished and I was getting older. It sounds, when you've been on chemo, you'll know what I mean, it's tough, it takes it out of you. It was, it was probably one of the worst and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I mean, if this hasn't worked, my flesh again, then, but then my spirit's saying, well, no, God said he would heal you. And through that, through that time, I, I, I knew it was the enemy was at work again. So I started to pray into it and I started to disarm the enemy and, and, and believe God at his word and, and standing on scripture. And got to the end of when I should go and pick my results up. And I'm waiting there a week later. I had to wait in the waiting room for three hours. Me and my wife did. And then my consultant came out, got us in the room. And I was like, right, this is crunch time. He says, the test results haven't come back yet. <laughs> and I'm, we're, we're, we're just at the end of our tether. We're like, Lord, you know, we believe you at your word, but this is getting beyond the joke. Anyway, a day later, the test results come back and I was in the all clear and it was all just a mistake with the results again. And I'm like, same tactic. <sighs> Talk about character building, John. And uh, what did you do to celebrate that day? Do you remember? We were just exhausted. When the, when the we, we went on holiday to Lanzarote. We okay. went to the same. We went to the same um, place that we had our honeymoon in, which was Lanzarote at Playa Blanca in a, a hotel called Dream Place. And yeah, not literally a week after that, we just went on holiday and we just rested, John. Mm. But all throughout that, that the reason why I was able to be so faithful to God within that time because six months before I actually got diagnosed, I got diagnosed in the two thousand and fifteen September. In the March 2015, a prophet had come over. I think Ali and Kate knew this guy. He'd come over. I forgot his name. He'd come over from Australia just to, to one of our prayer meetings. <clears throat> and he was prophesying over a, a few people. One of the 
two of the people were me and Sarah, my wife. And he prophesied, started prophesying some stuff that we found that was quite strange, that he was saying that you, you, you're going to live a good life, God's got your back, God's going God's to allow you to start a business, um, you're going to be a father to many. I didn't know whether he meant I was going to have kids or not, because we've not actually got kids. So, but, but Spiritual or natural. Spiritual, yeah, and my roles that yeah. I do at church now, yeah. He was just prophesying things that could only come to play in the future, and and a lot of it was 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 encouraging. Mm. You, you, you know, you're going to touch lives. You're going to do this for mm. God. You're going to do that for God. And we stood on that prophecy all throughout that treatment, and that 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 gave us that was a bit of an. We we were puzzled, if I'm honest, because some of the things that this guy was saying, we were like, well, it doesn't really make sense for now. But God knew what was coming. Did God cause the cancer? No. Did he know it was coming? Of course he did. Um, but he knew the journey that we'd go on through, throughout the whole process. And, and we anchored onto that word, the, the, the words. I've, I've still got the recording now and I do yeah. listen to it, you know, every every couple of months just to remind me of the goodness that God's God had spoken me. into your future. Yeah. So you had a strong sense within, this isn't my time. Yeah. This isn't my time. And that's how I felt the whole time, John. This isn't my time to go. I'm, I'm born on purpose for a purpose and I've got things to do for God. And the really low moments, so obviously physically you're wrecked and emotions are going to be all over the place. I guess you felt for family around you was probably what was the hardest. Yeah, I mean... Because they have to endure I, you going through this. I think the worst part was for Sarah, my wife. You know, she 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 was the one that saw everything. Me being having to bath me, having to nurse me. Well, four months into my diagnosis, my mum's husband died instantly of a stroke. So, you know, the enemy was coming at us from every angle. So my mum was in no place to kind of be there for, for us because she was dealing with her own grief. grief yeah. yeah, lost her husband. It was just all kicking off. So, yeah, I did, I did feel for my family. It was tough. I, it, I had to be positive for them because the more that they see me suffer, the harder it was for them. But, you know, hats off to Sarah. Uh, for looking after me and, and doing what she did you know three months th three years before i got diagnosed obviously we have our wedding vows to each other and you don't really realize when you get married you know through sickness and in health and you, you think well i'm never going to be sick anyway I'll... doesn't mean anything when you're kids does it no it doesn't and it's like wow you know she proved the love of a wife and she she did really well but th there is there is a weight that you have to carry of trying to be positive for your family and sometimes you have to hide how much you're suffering sometimes mm. because it's not nice for, to watch somebody that you love in, in pain. Yeah. So let's, uh, we're going to come back to how it changed you. I'm just interested. You actually became a Christian. In, oh, just before I get into that, how many years ago was it since that final, it wasn't your probably final check, <laughs> but that one that gave you the all clear? Yeah, so, 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 so August 2018 yes. was when I got the all clear. So four and a half years ago, is yeah. that was. Yeah. So so this June, I think it's this July August. Now it'll be five years since I finished all the treatment. So yeah, it's, it's a, not needed any. No, just no, chemo or anything. No, no, you no, just no. go for a checkup just, once in a while. Just a checkup once once a year for a blood test. Which to be fair, you want it's a bit yes. of an MOT. You get to see what your level. Yes. I've had one uh, two weeks ago. So okay. bang good. on, very good. Uh, you became a Christian in your twenties, so you you weren't brought up going to faith. I guess I'm interested in 
how you'd have dealt with this experience if you weren't a Christian. But just before, just take a moment to explain how you came to know Jesus. Yeah, so so I came to know Jesus through um, a chap in the gym. Um, I've been to churches on and off as you know, as a, as a young adult with one of my first first girlfriends that I had from school. Um, I, I didn't really click. I didn't really find it very interesting, but seeds were planted. Seeds were planted during that time. Um, and in my early 20s, I started doing the things that you think young lads should do, going out clubbing, you know, having lots of partners and stuff like that, you know, girlfriends. And, it, and it's, I, I was very, very confused as, as, as a guy. And it comes to the point, probably about 22, I was asking some questions that probably a 22-year-old shouldn't be asking, like, what is it all about? My family, my mum my, my and dad had got divorced. They were going through a rough time. The family was in tatters and we'd always been a, a semi-close family. Um, I'd just got a, I'd just split up with a, a girlfriend that I lived with. So I was quite heartbroken with that. I'd just got a speeding ticket <laughs> for, uh, yeah, going over Bobber's Mill, got caught doing, I think it was 45 and a 30. So I got a letter through the post to say you've got a court date. So I thought, if I lose my license, I lose my job because I needed my license for a job. My family's in tatters. I've lost my girl. I was just not in a good place. At the time, I couldn't see, but God was bringing me to a place of despair to ask some more questions because he'd planted seeds prior to that. And I was training in the gym, um, and there was this guy called Gary Bruce, and uh, he was a—he wasn't your normal type of Christian guy. He had muscles. He was cool. He was into his gym. He was, but he was constantly talking about Jesus, and I was thinking, what is this guy on? But there was something inside me that resonated with it and I found it intriguing. Anyway, he invited me to church um, and I kind of, kind of came kicking and screaming. And I, I walked in one Sunday. I finally decided to take him up on his invite and I walked in one Sunday. And um, I was really down. I wouldn't say I was suicidal, but I was asking a lot of questions. Life was not going my way. It was all coming to a pivotal point. And I remember everybody's up there singing with their arms raised in the air, singing worship. And I'm sat down in that moment <clears throat> in my chair. And I felt the Holy Spirit. What did, what, what did that feel like for a person that doesn't know about this kind of stuff? I felt comforted. I felt at peace. I felt in a safe place. And Gary come and put his arm around me and said, it's all going to be okay. I've got you. I'm praying for you. And that very day I gave my life to Jesus. I submitted myself and all my problems and everything that was going wrong in my life. I submit, submitted it all for God. I said, God, if you exist, show me. Show me that you exist. Show me that you love me because my real father is nowhere to be seen. And my family's in tatters and we're not in a good place. I'm not in a good place. I need you. If you're real, if the Bible's true, show me. And I remember walking into that church. It was Talbot Street Christian Center in 2009. I remember walking in with the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I remember walking out feeling so light. And at the time, I felt like I'd won the lottery. That's how I would describe it. Now I would describe it very differently. But back in the day, we all know if you're you know, winning the lottery, it'd be a fantastic feeling. You wouldn't have many cares in the world. So that's how I felt. I walked out light. Um, There'll be some people listening to this, maybe just one person who is at that threshold moment, just wondering if God is for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe maybe like you, it just feels like the walls are closing in. Yeah. Life is not good at the moment. And they're wondering whether they should call out to God. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that person who's listening at this moment? Put it this way. 
if you were at the same at the moment, if you're at the same point that I was, it felt like I had nowhere to turn, no mum, no dad, because my mum and dad were, were going through a lot of stuff at the time. I was a young man, family members, nowhere to turn. Friends were just, turns out to be associates. It, it was just a real lonely, tough time to deal with problems as a young man. I had nowhere to turn. And I thought, you know what? If there is a real God out there that loves me, like the Bible says, and like all these Christians are saying, I need to see it. Because if there is, that's hope for me. Nothing can get any worse than what's happening to me at the moment, this moment in time. And if there is some kind of respite, some kind of freeing feeling, some kind of freedom and peace that I can receive, I've got to try it. So I called out with everything that I am and I submitted all my problems, myself, everything to Jesus. And I said, God, help me, please. And he did, just like that. And what he did, he changed my perspective on everything. He freed my mind from looking inwards and he opened uh, opened my spirit up, opened my mind up and, and it was freeing. And I thought, why didn't I do this years ago? Why have I been living in this turmoil? Because the thing is, John, we were never designed to live alone anyway. He created the earth, he created Adam and Eve. We weren't designed to do that alone. And then we wonder why we struggled by ourselves. And if he did it for you, he can do it for anyone. Totally, totally. If he can do it. For for a lad brought up in Aspley in Nottingham, if you can do it for a council kid like me, with no upbringing of church, you know, I didn't deserve the love of God. I, I turned my back on God many, many times and I was brought up in a very atheist environment. My dad always used to say to me, there's nothing but a vacuum up there, it's just space, there's nothing. I was brought up in that environment. So I made a lot of choices that were in rebellion to God and didn't live right. And he didn't need to do it, but he did. He did. And if he can do it for me, didn't know anything about Jesus, didn't know anything about Christianity, he can definitely do it for absolutely anybody. If anybody wants to know more about uh, or wants Simon to pray for them or whatever, then go onto the Rock Church website, uh, Rock Church Nottingham, go onto the website, contact him, and he'd be loved to do that. Totally. Let's work, sort of, how do you think you would have coped with the cancer? I know this is an impossible question, but I'm just intrigued yep. because not long after, a few years after, you're diagnosed with cancer. So, uh, 28 were you when the doctor? 29. 29. So, so if you hadn't met Jesus and given your life to Him, how would have you coped? The Simon <laughs> Taylor that didn't know Jesus, how would have he been? I'd probably be dead, John, because I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Too much pressure. Too much stress. The Bible says that Jesus says that, you know, cast your burdens on me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And and I wouldn't have been able to carry that burden, John. I, I really couldn't. It was too stressful. There were too much going on. It, it was the faith to know that everything was going to be okay. It was the faith to know that God's promises in his word allowed me to build on that faith, stand on that faith, anchor to that faith, knowing that he's got my back. Imagine if I went through that and I was just self-dependent. I'm just a man. I, I'd proven that I was just deteriorating through the chemo. I, I couldn't have possibly coped. Um, I couldn't. Have. The thing is, it actually strengthened my marriage. It strengthened my relationship. Explain that because people are going to struggle to... Yeah. So, 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 that's what, so, so I, I wouldn't have been a very good husband. Um, I, would have rely, I would have put probably all my reliability on Sarah, which is too much pressure for her. In, instead, I put all my reliability on God. He kept me spiritually strong. He, you know, 
If the spirit is strong, the, the flesh follows. Whatever the spirit does, wherever you are spiritually, the flesh will automatically follow because your spirit is what's connected to God. So in that moment of, of, of despair when my test results were going wrong, when I was really having them days of suffering where I spent most of my day with a head in the bucket being sick, all them horrible days of, of treatment, without being spiritually connected to God, without having that hope and that faith and that joy and peace in my heart that can't be explained, Bible says his peace transcends all human understanding. I shouldn't have been like that. I would have been so dependent on my wife, so dependent on myself. And quite frankly, we're not strong enough to carry that burden. So it made my marriage. We groaned together. We pulled together. We, we prayed together. We worshiped, the, we worshiped God together. You know, we're on a hospital bed when we first got diagnosed and we're praying together and we're worshiping together and we're in tears of joy. And it's like, why are we so happy? Mm -hmm on this hospital bed. And it reminded me of Paul and Silas in the prison. Mm. Why are they worshiping? They're chained up in prison. It's, you should not, the kingdom of heaven is completely topsy-turvy. It's the other way around, you know. We just thrived in that environment because it was a chance for us both to give everything to God and enjoy the journey with him. And I always say that cancer was probably one of the worst things, but best things that ever happened to me because it changed me, it's changed my wife, it's changed my, our relationship with God. Because if God can bring us through cancer, if God can move that mountain, and how much more is possible? So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but Jesus saved you as a young man. Yeah. And then he saved you again because he carried you through the cancer. Totally. So he saved you twice. <laughs> he did. Saved and he'll continue twice. to keep saving me until the day I die. Yes. Yeah, very good. And that's such a heartwarming feeling, yes. knowing that I'm, I'm not alone. Yes. No, it, it, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Talk about, just sort of as we conclude, how you have changed. I know this is, again, not an easy question, but give us a few bullet points of how it has changed you, uh, having the cancer, recovering from the cancer, God being with you through it. How are you different as a person? Ah. <clears throat> Obviously, I've got a new lease of life. Now, most people, when they come out of cancer or a, or a bad illness of disease, you've got a new, new lease of life. And that normally burns out after a couple of months because you go back to the mundane way that you were living before that. But the thing is, when you've got a new lease of life in God, it continues to grow each and every day. So I believe that we're all born on purpose for a purpose. And I believe that I've been kept alive for a reason. So... One of the things that I said to my wife when I was on the cancer bed was she was having to work 10 hours a day and come and see me in hospital and look after herself and be at work five times a week, which a lot of you guys will probably be feeling the pain. I said to her, when this is done, I will create a business for us where we can not have to rely on a job and not have to rely on other people to pay our bills, etc. Because that was a bit of a, I didn't go into that, but that was quite yeah, tough. Yeah. Not being able to work, John. Yeah. So me and my wife created a business. We've created a life that, that allows us to do the things that we want to do. We get to serve the, you know, serve God more. So it's given me a new lease of life. It's given me more courage to step out in the things that I would probably would have been more fearful to do before. Um, it's made me more fearless. It's made me more trusting of God. And I'm very grateful, John. I'm, I'm a person that bases his life on gratitude. And I'm very, very pleased to be here. Mm. And 
I suppose you, the, the best thing to describe how, how how much it's changed me is ask other people around me because for me, I'm just I've grown through it. I'm just high on life, John. Yeah. High on life, and and you've set your own business up. You've gone on to do that. Yeah, yeah, multiple businesses. Yeah, yeah. Become an entrepreneur through that. Yeah. Um, so what I do now is I, I I started to get into property investment when when I finished my treatment. Um, and then once we'd built up a portfolio and we started to really put it into action, we, we then started to um, open up a training company. So we mentor people now of how to get into different businesses and property and crypto trading and all that type of stuff that, you know, things that it's a new world that we live in now, you know, you don't need to work in a factory anymore. Uh, and and that, that was born from me, the, 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 the hunger to want to help people get into entrepreneurship and set their own businesses up, etc. whether it be through assets, property, crypto or anything like that is is being in a position where i couldn't pay my bills now doing what i do now i could still do that from a hospital but i could still do that from anywhere in the world and that's that's the life that i wanted to create so i think it just gives you a kick up the bum to do the things that you there's people out there that want to do certain things in their life but they're scared it might go wrong well it can't get any worse than cancer it can't get any worse than being where you are at now if you are suffering with an illness so if and when you do come out of that illness, you've got to live life to the full. You've got to, God's given us one chance on this earth. Well, in my case, he's given me two chances mm -hmm. and we've got to live. We've got to respect God in that and be the best people that we can live. Mm -hmm. Because the Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full more abundantly. So one thing I would say is live, live that way. And that's what it's done to me. It's, it's allowed me to have the mindset that anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Anything is possible. Um, and anything that is impossible in your life, give it to God and, you know, if it's his will, he'll, he'll make it. Possible. See what he can do with it. Yeah. I, I was just thinking, uh, you've rightly thanked Sarah and Kate and Ali, who were massive supports. Yeah. Just talk about the wider church, the Rock Church that mm -hmm. you're part of, great church. How did they support you and Sarah? What, what advice would you give to churches supporting people going through a tough time? Great question, John. Yeah. So the wider church were absolutely phenomenal. So so for us, when I first got diagnosed in the first couple of months, they had a we have a, a prayer meeting, the RPM, the Rock Prayer Meeting, every month, and they all gathered together and they all wrote scriptures on two pillows on the pillowcases um, to bring so I could have them in my hospital. So it was words, words of knowledge, encouragement, scriptures. Um, that was massive for us because it was encouraging. And obviously we, we believe that there's power in, in the scriptures. But in terms of action, people were cooking Sarah dinners and leaving the Tupperware tubs outside. Mm -hmm. So when she got home from hospital, she could eat. People were paying our mortgage for us. Mm -hmm. People were helping us pay our bills. People really, really pulled together. Mm -hmm. um, more so than my immediate family, if I'm honest. More so than, than, than my, my blood, blood relatives. Mm -hmm. These guys were really pushing the boat out. Um, so any advice that I give to churches that are dealing with people that aren't very well is just 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 be a support. Don't bombard people, but know let people know that you're there. Um, you know, love's a verb; it's an action. Um, show that you care. You know, if somebody if you ask somebody if you'd like to cook for them and they go, oh no, you know, being English, we're too polite. We go, oh, don't worry about it. Make some food in a Tupperware tub. Put it outside someone's door, knock on the door and just walk away and leave the food there. You know, be be the hands and feet of Jesus. It, it, we felt so supported and felt so loved through 
the church and people's actions. And some people could give us money to pay a mortgage. Some people were great at cooking. Some people come and sat with me um, in hospital and just, just chatted to me. Some people bought me computer games and DVDs for me to watch. You know, we can all do something. Mm. Um, and it meant the world to me and Sarah, knowing that we've got back in, mm. knowing that people are praying for us. Yeah. Um, and I believe that's why the journey went as well as it could. Yes. Because people were praying. People well done, Rock works. Church. Well done, Rock Church. What a great story. What, what a great testimony. Yeah. Uh, I'd like you to conclude with just praying for anybody out there at the moment that is right in the thick of the storm. Mm -hmm. You know, that to pray for God to be with them, just to conclude with you praying for them, if that's okay. Simon, thank you so much for sharing your story with no us. Problem. Uh, you, outstanding, inspiring. May all of our faith, whoever's listening, may our faith grow in the goodness and the love of God and his ability to be at work in lives now. But if you conclude just by praying for whoever's going through one of these dark seasons of the soul, that would be wonderful. Totally. Yeah. Father, we thank you so much for being with us we thank you for the plan that you have for our lives and i speak to anybody out there right now that's suffering that may need you that may be crying out to you that may be in a desperate situation lord i pray that you would reach out and that you would let them know you would touch them in a powerful way and you'd let them know that they are loved that the creator of the universe is there for them and that he has a plan for their lives. And I pray for each and every person that's suffering right now. I, 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 I proclaim healing. Yeah. God's healing over you in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Um, I plead the blood of Jesus over you that will cleanse you from head to toe, internally and externally. And I pray that you would have an encounter with God like you've never encountered before, whether you're a believer or whether you're a, a non-believer. You know, I pray that over you right now, that I hope you've been inspired by my journey. I hope you've been inspired by the things that God's done to me. Uh, and we pray a blessing over you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NG Church Network podcast and conversation. We are passionate about capturing authentic experiences of ordinary lives impacted by an extraordinary God. To find out more about our network, please check out www.ngchurchnetwork.org.uk.